Welcome to Newsworthy with Norrisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we've got our September wrap-up, and (laughs) this is a a fun one. We don't have just one guest or two guests or three guests. We've got four guests, and it's a little crazy. Wade Hodges, Jonathan Stormont, uh, my friend Colin Packer, and even Josh Graves jumps in on this one, so it's a good one. But before we get to that podcast, I want to tell you about our sponsor for this month. It's a national conference on youth ministry, and my good friend is the new president of this very conference, and uh, he's on the line right now. And actually, Josh and I went to this conference back in 1999. Uh, isn't that right, Josh, when we went for the first conference back in Orlando? Yeah, that was the first time I went to it. And we, uh, we, You and me and I think three other guys drove from Dallas to Orlando, Florida for the conference. Oh, that's great. And how did you get in leadership of the conference? Um, I've been going to the conference uh, ever since I got into full-time youth ministry. And so... Uh, the way the leadership of the conference is set up, they have uh, just a rotating board um, of people who help plan the conference. So I've been on the board now for four years, and uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, over the summer got to, uh, given the position of president. So I'm working on the leadership of the board with about six other folks uh, that help plan it throughout the year, uh, lining up our speakers and classes and uh, just all the things that we'll do during the week. So. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, it's it's a great conference uh, put put on by youth ministers, uh, which I, I think sets us apart from some of the other youth ministry conferences. That uh, we're not just professional conference planners or anything, but we're actual youth ministers who are doing this year round, and then we get together for a conference and, and get to meet with our fellow youth ministers and things for a week. So it's a pretty great time. Oh, that's great! And so I've been to this conference uh, as a college student. And uh, I've even come back and helped out, taught a couple classes uh, last year for the event. It's a great event. And this year, you've got a great group of speakers who are going to be there. So uh, why don't you tell our listeners uh, some of the people that they would recognize who are going to be teaching? Yeah, uh, we've got friends of the podcast, uh, Randy Harris and uh, Josh Roth uh, is going to be one of our speakers. Uh, Randy's leading our early morning devotionals for the week. Uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber is one of our keynotes, and we're excited to have her with us this year. Uh, being, we'll be in Colorado Springs, so it's going to be a local thing for her just to come down from Denver. And uh, then we've got uh, podcast favorite Jonathan Storman as one of our keynotes as well. And so we're looking forward to having him with us also. Oh, that's great. That's a great group. Randy Harris is so good. Nadia is so good. Josh is so good. And then, you know. Jonathan's going to be there too, and that's yep. all right. Uh, give us the details. What uh, if someone's interested <laughs> in going to this? Uh, what do they need to know? How do they get uh, to learn more about this conference? Yeah, the website for the conference is www.ncym.org, and uh, that'll tell you everything you need to know about registration and the schedule and uh, uh, the hotel and things like that. Uh, we will be in Colorado Springs. Uh, the dates are January 4th through the 7th, 2016. So it's a great way to start off the year, uh, getting together with a bunch of other youth ministers and youth workers from across the country. Um, and uh, up until October 12th, uh, we're running our super early bird race. Um, it does end on Monday night, the 12th. 
And so if you get registered before then, you'll get, be able to save $55 off of the full price. And so that's obviously a great deal. And we've also got rates for spouses of youth ministers. Um, if, you're, if your church has a group of two or more that's coming to the conference, you can get a group rate. And then there's also rates for college students, like you and I went our first time. Uh, we've got rates for college students and grad students. Uh, can save um, save them a little bit of money uh, for coming out to the conference as well. So, oh, uh, but yeah, all of the information is on the website. And that is ncym.org. Uh, yeah, one more week. Yes. Yeah. So like I said, one more week to save on the October 12th deadline. Cool. So uh, people can go to ncym.org to learn more. Uh, if you want to go here, uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber, Stormont, Josh Ross, uh, Randy Harris, the first of the year in January in the awesome city of Colorado Springs. Uh, NCYM is uh, the conference for you. So, Josh, thank you so much for taking the time, and uh, we look forward to hearing how much people love this uh, conference. So thanks for coming on the show and talking to us about this. Yeah, thanks, Luke. All right, dude. All right, now uh, we're going to get to the podcast. So um, let's go. September wrap-up. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we're doing the wrap-up for the month of September. We've got two high school diplomas with four guests in the room today. Welcome to the show, friends. <laughs> Jonathan Stormont, Wade Hodges, and new to the show, first time, Colin Packer. Woo-woo-woo! Good to be here. Good to be oh, here. Colin. Colin, thanks for coming on. Glad to be here. You excited about this? Yeah, I've been listening forever. I'm glad to be finally on the show. Well, we're glad to finally have you on. Uncle Wade, how are you? I'm doing great. It's an early morning podcast recording. I'm a little sleepy, drowsy, got coffee in hand, though. I'm ready to mix it up. Good. Storman, how you doing, buddy? I'm very, very tired. And he I'm looks so sleepy right you now. Have me up it's not that early. early. He looks like an Arkansas <laughs> hound dog that has been <laughs> beaten with a bat. He is not ready for some awesome. He's not Thank ready. You. You yeah. didn't, he didn't even do it. To, he's so tired, he forgot to do the get That's ready true. for some awesome. You see how tired I am. This I like is, that. I like, we should do this all the time, just mm-hmm. in the morning, so you can't do that little rift in the beginning. Is this you for first service when you preach? Oh, yeah. Oh, my goodness. You're not yeah. a first service guy? I'm not. I'm not. I, <laughs> there are some people who I don't think Jesus wants to be up before, like, 9 a.m., and I'm I'm definitely one of those people. For the record, it is 8.30 Central Time as we speak. So it is 7.30 here. And that's right. Been, we've been here, <clears throat> when you asked us to, for, like, 20 minutes watching you you know, tinker around with your toys and your cables. Okay. If you, if thank you, you. think Luke wow. has a simple setup, you would be wrong. Yeah. He has cables and cords and headphones. I have four and, microphones, so and, there's four cords. And <laughs> that's not hard to set up. It's the three mirrors he demands to place around <laughs> yeah, himself while he records right. the podcast. <clears throat> that's not true at all. Not at all. Okay, we're going to do the wrap-up show here. So we had four guests for the month of September. We had our friend from Maelstrom, Jonathan's friend. Do you remember her name, Jonathan? Carolyn James. Yeah, exactly. Custis, if you want to go with her main name. Mm-hmm. We had that in there. We had uh, Richard Beck and my dad. We had um, <clears throat> Diana Butler Bass and our buddy Mark Weathers. So those are the people we're going to talk whoa, about. Whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a second. I remember what a picture, a post, hints online that there was going to be another podcast I don't, I don't episode. Know, I don't yeah. know, I don't know What's his about. name? He's funny. He's famous. Luke Norsworthy. Everybody <laughs> likes to talk to him about spirituality. Luke Norsworthy, right? Two out of three ain't bad, right? <laughs> I thought Pete Holmes was coming on the show this month. Uh, I I don't I I don't know what you're talking about. No Pete Holmes? 
You did not record an episode with Pete Holmes. Okay, that that might be a different subject. There there might have been a conversation with uh, with Pete Holmes that uh, took place. Uh, it hasn't uh, it hasn't been posted as at this present moment. And why would that be? Um. Well, because it hasn't been edited yet. Uh, maybe I don't know if there's ever enough editing to make that <laughs> postable. Um, it was a uh, yeah, Pete Holmes. Uh, we had a nice conversation with him, and um, his the 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 language that is enabled uh, <laughs> in the world of comedy is not always the same language that a pastor gets to use. So, have you not figured out how to use the bleep button? The thing is, it might just sound like a bleep <laughs> <laughs> for forty four minutes. So yeah, there's a que- you'd ask a question, and then the end would just bleep. Basically, yeah. that would that that might be it there might be a way that i can one day figure out how to post that but as of yet i don't know well tell us about the conversation since you can't share it with us what was it like uh well um he was in dallas doing a comedy show and uh i went to that uh with a friend rob carmack and uh watched him do a show and then afterwards we talked for a while and um you know, if you know Pete, comes from a conservative Christian background, and he's not there right now. <laughs> and, <laughs> what do you mean? <laughs> uh, he, he is, I think there would be some people who listen to him and say he's just kind of new agey. And uh, that has enabled him to like lose some restraints of morality and a few other things. But Did he, he say some good things? I thought he, uh, what I liked about Pete is that he, in a lot of ways says what you're going to find many yeah. post-Christian people are saying and some of the ways that you understand Jesus and Christianity uh, that he does, I think is very typical of a lot of people. And I guess that's one of my big questions, even when you were going to interview him, because I've heard some of the stuff he's done with Rob Bell and, and if it weren't for the fact that he were funny and famous, would we care what he thinks about spirituality because when you listen to him talk he's obviously coming from a post-christian place it's hilarious he's got a great way of articulating his points but but what he's saying isn't really all that different from what anybody else who has given up on church and has read an eastern book on meditation would say about spirituality Mm. why do we care what pete holmes is saying right now well i think he's articulating a worldview that is very consistent with a lot of people and so for for some people who've never really understood what you know, the sub 40 post-Christian demographic is thinking and understanding. I think it'd be really enlightening to hear that because in a lot of ways he's saying things that a lot of people already believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I don't know if we're supposed to say that we actually heard this podcast. You're, you're ruining the, like the surprise of the conversation by oh, saying that. So really? just pretend, <laughs> pretend like you hadn't, but if you had what? Uh, one of the things I liked about the, the podcast and one of the reasons I you heard it here first Jonathan Stormont fully endorses everything Pete Holmes says (laughs) (laughs) now post it yeah everything is awesome Um, (laughs) so one of the things I really liked about the podcast and one of the reasons I think I I encouraged you to post it with like a you know disclaimer explicit or whatever (laughs) on there don't listen to this with children in the car um, was because you did push back on that, I thought it was a, a good example of like a conversation between people who are, you know, somebody is post Christian. I I think that's one of the one of the great things that Pete Holmes did do was basically say what a lot. I mean, it's just common sense today. The stuff he's saying, yeah, you know, it, it that seems like a no brainer to so many people who grew up with any kind of church background and 
walked away from it because evolution or whatever mm-hmm. um, was the straw that broke the camel's back for them. And you push back on it several times. You know, I am a Jesus person, and and you made you made him kind of come back to a little bit of defending something that I don't think he thought needed to be defended because it's such common sense in the world he lived in. And I, I think conversations like that would be good for people to hear. Um, but it was just really, really <laughs> dirty. My favorite thing, the thing that made me laugh out loud was when he goes, look, I'm not going to lie. I'm a little bit drunk right now. <laughs> At that point, I thought, this is never getting aired. Yeah. That's the first. Yeah. That's... Well, it's really not. It's just probably the first time so somebody as a... said it. No, so it's, it's the first time one of the guests has been drunk. That's not true. So as a comedian, I guess that's standard practice, that you drink a little bit before you go on stage. I don't think that probably – I think there's a lot of commonality between comedy, stand-up comedy, and preaching. I don't think that's one of them, though. Have you ever wondered what that would be like, though, if you preached a sermon with maybe one or two in you just to see <laughs> if you're better or worse? About 10 years ago, I took a lot of DayQuil on an empty stomach <laughs> before I preached. And um, anyway, I wound up being drunk while I was preaching and then I found out later there's absolutely no alcohol in Dayquil <laughs> so it was a total placebo thing of maybe. <laughs> but, but were you better that's yeah. what I want to know I was better to me I was better to me <laughs> uh, that's funny I had a concussion one time from uh, an intramural rodeo at ACU and I still preached like a day and a half after that and I was on some pain medication that's pretty strong but that's that's the closest I've had and I don't think it was that funny. Did you talk to Pete Holmes about preaching and stand-up comedy? No, I talked to him afterwards when uh, I was driving back to the hotel, but I didn't talk to him during the actual interview. Did he? What did he say about it? He said, "Yeah, there's. I mean, there's a lot of commonality about it, and didn't really go into great detail. But you know, one of the things that I would eventually, if I ever get to talk to Rob again, say, you know, what did you learn from you know interacting with hmm. Pete? And obviously, Rob's doing an event at a you know comedy club." In two weeks or something like that. So once he hears all the bad things you're saying about Pete on this episode, I haven't you're probably said one, never going to get to talk no, to Rob again. No, I haven't again. said one bad thing about Pete. I thought he was a great guy, very genuine. Do you think that Pete is watching the feed on the podcast going, when's he going to post our episode? Honestly, here's what it was. It was just announced he got a new show with Judd Apatow. HBO's you know, uh, picked up a pilot. And honestly, I didn't want to post the podcast and overshadow that. Uh, Real story. Very generous wow. of you. Yeah, well, you you know can probably go ahead and do it now, though. No, well, I still feel like people would be like, oh, you're producing and starring in a new show on HBO, but you're also newsworthy with Norsworthy. Would, eh. would your listeners be willing to pay for this particular episode? Maybe <laughs> maybe a subscription-only kind of thing. They sign a disclaimer, and they totally understand <laughs> what they're – it's like Luke Norsworthy after hours. <laughs> after and, and, and it's like a midnight listening or something. <laughs> Could they pay for that? And and there not be as as much difficulty. How about this? Why don't you host a listening party at the Preston Road Church of Christ in Dallas, Texas? I'd be more than happy to do that. Would you really? Oh, absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You edit it, and I'll host it. Okay. Well, send us some dates of times that'll be good. You want to do it on a Sunday morning, like a Bible class, right before service? No, it has to be after dark, right? It's yeah. It does have to be after dark. After we can do dark. it early in the morning, though, <laughs> while it's still dark. <laughs> oh, jeez. Okay. Let's move on. Enough about Pete. Let's do the podcast. So, the first book, Carolyn Custis James, another Jonathan Stormont recommendation. You on occasion said, Luke, hey man, you gotta have, uh, you gotta <laughs> have jo- <laughs> Joshua Ryan Butler, and he's awesome. And, okay, we have him on. Uh, and then Carolyn Custis James. She's another uh, yeah. one. Did you like the book? I did. 
I did. Um, yeah, I, I um, I love that book. I think there's not enough books like that. Um, and you know, I knew immediately this was. A, it was hard to categorize her because you know, as as you said, she's she's a Calvinist. Her husband's what? What's her husband do? He teaches at. He was at uh, Reform Seminary in Orlando. Now he's up in. Uh, Is it DBU or something? No, it's not DBU. It's somewhere up north. Yeah, so it's, you know, she's a Calvinist person who... Um, she By the way, she, she sent me an email and said, you know what you should do? Have my husband on it talk about Reformed theology. Huh? That's, I, it's yeah. on the list. Of, I think it'd be a fun thing to do. Have you ever converted a... Calvinist? Calvinist, yeah. Uh, well, I was a Calvinist for like a week, so I converted myself when yeah, I was like yeah, 19. Chop one up. Yeah. <laughs> no. I don't think I have. I don't. Need, we don't need to convert Calvinists. I mean, they'll probably get into heaven if they're elect. <laughs> so, yeah. So she's she's she, uh, she. So she comes at it from a more conservative perspective. But all the people who had done blurbs for her book were like Brian McLaren, Rachel Held Evans, yeah. um, friends of the show. And so I I read it because I just got a copy sent to me, and I loved it because most of the time, the reason that we talk about. Uh, gender equity, I think, maybe comes from the wrong place. Which is well, I mean, there's just lots of there's lots of reasons that we give that aren't for for why women should preach or whatever that aren't necessarily the best reasons. And I think she in this book is actually coming at it. She also wrote half the church, um, which is more about women equity. But in this book, she's talking about men. And the reason it's important for men. Did you ever see that TED Talk where that Marine was talking about, I'm a feminist, and I think every man should be because mm. it's good for men? Hmm. Um, it's like a fascinating 10-minute thing about how, you know you know that women have men. They have sons. And the those sons grow up watching to see how how to treat women based on how they see their mom treated yeah. or yeah. – um, anyway, so her her thing about how we're all in this together, and then the greatest thing I think Carolyn James does is she comes at it solidly through the Bible. Mm-hmm. And so her her great point about how the image of God um, in Genesis one, when and when God says, "I want you to leave and cleave," that is actually I'm doing dismantling patriarchy. Yeah. patriarchy yeah. And what a big deal that is for for a patriarchal society. Yeah. I, I had never thought of Genesis, that text about leaving and cleaving as undoing patriarchy. Mm-hmm. Very fascinating. Con, did you get a, have you uh, have you heard of that book before? No, that was the first time on the show I'd heard anything about it. It was good. Yeah, it was good. Hey, guess what? Something very exciting just happened. Our friend, Josh Craze, just walked into the I'm show. I'm so excited. Woo! Yes. Josh, you want to join? How you doing? <laughs> this is his early morning voice. <laughs> this is early morning Josh Grace. So we're talking about a book called Maelstrom, uh, Carolyn Custis James. And her take on uh, leave and cleave from Genesis is that it's undoing patriarchy from pre-fall. Because a lot of people talk about patriarchy yeah. as part of the fall. But her argument was, no, it's undoing it from the very beginning. I never mm-hmm. thought about that. I thought it was interesting, though. Yeah, and and her her big thing. If you haven't read this book, you totally should. Um, her big thing is go. She goes through all the stories in the Bible, or several stories in the Bible, and shows how a woman helped um, 
heal the situation, heal a man by being um, more than just some kind of subservient. Um, and how the Bible, the trajectory of the Bible and the Bible itself is um, not what patriarchy, the lens of patriarchy likes to read into it. It's just a great, great book. Yeah. I just find it interesting about marriages because, you know, we walked through this in the church I was at before my current one. And, you know, the gender shift was as much about uh, our marriages as it was about uh, what was going on in our church on Sunday morning. Because what we had was so many expectations of uh, women that expected for the men to be the, you know, leaders of their household. And the the men really didn't have that giftedness. It was more the women that had that in those Hmm. situations. And so the the problems in marriage that emerged from this expectation that was placed really caused a lot of marital issues. And so really? what we found, and it's interesting, this leave and cleave thing, you know, is that, uh, this gender shift wasn't just about what happened Sunday morning. It was what impacted families. It was what mm-hmm. created expectations in our student ministry for down the road and what their relationships would look like. It was a huge blessing in so many ways beyond what, just what happened on Sunday morning. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. And it was, it's interesting that you have a woman writing a book about, manhood it mm-hmm. seems like you should have a man writing but she makes a really good point like how many books are written by men yeah. about womanhood so it's kind of nice to have the uh, the table sermon but uh she was a lot of fun i really uh i really liked her good person good suggestion jonathan thank you definitely one of your better ones <laughs> okay so the, <laughs> you look like you're still asleep man no you just stumbled into a podcast i'm just fully present to the mystery of god that is this morning you don't look like you're ready for some awesome you don't, you don't, you need to drink some more coffee. Okay, so the next one we did was uh, Richard Beck and my dad. We did the old uh, three-man weave. Love that guy. Richard Beck, love my dad. Great, great stuff. So uh, we talked about suffering well. There's a Carl Jung uh, line about, uh, you know, so much anxiety comes from people not suffering well. And one of the comments I got uh, after that was, okay, I get that I need to suffer. I get that it's important to do that. But what does it mean to actually suffer well? Which is a really fair question. Like, what does it look like? And I think what I'm coming to understand is that suffering looks different for different people. Mm-hmm. And as you understand yourself, the journey for you learning to suffer looks different. And part of that is a very personal journey that each person has to go down. And so for someone with my personality, it's easy for me to kind of run and always be positive and not deal with the negative. And so for me, it's learning to sit in that. Mm-hmm. I think for some people, it's like they're so comfortable sitting in it that they need to learn how to step out of it. You agree? Yeah, Wade has a quote, I think. Uh, Everyone leaves. Isn't that his quote to go with pain in his life? So that's one way to look at it. Yeah. That's <laughs> such a beautiful line. Just a beautiful worldview. Everyone's eventually going to leave. I think what I've noticed with people in church settings is we have this kind of inherent view that somehow I should be exempt from suffering. or there's It's, it's almost like an exceptionalism clause. Like, well, I know suffering is what Job does or what yeah. other people in my church do. but why do, you, why do you think people don't think that they're supposed to suffer? I think it goes back to just this kind of simple view that if I'm good and God thinks I'm good, that things will go well. Hmm. If I'm a good boy, if I'm a good girl. Then you don't have to suffer. God will give me a piece of candy after church. Yeah, I, don't, I think we oh. bought into that. Have you guys heard that? Have you guys sensed that in your interactions with people that if you do good, then you don't have to suffer? I think I've sensed that myself. Really? Yeah. You remember that thing Josh Ross wrote about in his book, Scarred Faith, about – but you were there when Randy Harris was talking with him at Pepperdine, and he was – you know, Josh Ross, his sister died. He's a good friend of all of ours. 
and he was really upset about how his niece was going to grow up without a mom. And Randy said something like, I feel like I need to hold your hand as I say this. And he reached over the table and held his hand and said, why shouldn't your niece bear in the suffering of the world? And I think that's a question. When I when I first read that, um, that question haunted me for, I don't know, 24 months. Because I think that one of the things that we think, and some of it is because, because you know, our relationship with God, because we, He loves us, so we should be exempt from suffering. Some of it's because we, we honestly were so privileged that we can yeah. prevent suffering from happening most of the time with our resources. Yeah. But I think Christianity is largely about a relationship you have to pain mm-hmm. and drawing you into it. Not that it's good, not that suffering's good, but that you you can bear up under it because God does something in this that moves from death to resurrection. Yeah, you, your dad said something in the podcast. He said, doubt is a violation of our expectations of what God will do or what he will allow. Yeah. And I think that's spot on. I mean, you know, <clears throat> there's always going to be this difference between our expectations and reality. And the larger the gap there is, the larger the disappointment we face. And the church hasn't helped because it's almost raised our expectations of how church should be. Um, and so we deal with this disappointment and the reality sets in and how are we going to deal with that? And, and here's the problem I'd like to get to that, that this podcast really brought out for me was that, uh, well, first of all, numbness is dumbness. That always, something <laughs> but you know, the, the church hasn't done a good job of helping us with this because the church is focused on our coping mechanisms for the pain that we feel in the suffering. Yeah. Sin and the focus of the church has been on, okay, what are the coping mechanisms? Those are the things that are really wrong and God's upset about. But we never get to the hurt that's behind that. We never get to the expectations that are really failed behind that. And if all day long we focus on the coping mechanisms and call that what sin is, then we're never going to get to the hurt that's beneath it that really leaves us in these places that we continue to cause suffering in ourselves with the guilt and shame that kind of emerges through that. Yeah. Uh, so that's what I, that's one thing I was thinking about is the church has just not been our friend when it's come to this in so many instances. Yeah. Pete Rollins preached at Otter Creek about a year ago. And I, I, I'm pretty sure he's used this other places. I just never heard or read it in anywhere else, but he talked about um, his experience with church. That church was like a crack house or like a bar where the hype, the smoke, the mirrors, the sermon, like the whole Sunday experience was really providing kind of a narcotic that only the only thing it really accomplished was it left people needing to come back for more and more of it. And there was something in the way he described the alternative of kind of sitting with our own pain, having our sins and our pain named Uh, how I'm culpable and how others are culpable that really for me reignited like a belief that a local church can do things for people that no other place on planet earth can do. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I talk with roar. uh, It'll be the next podcast posted, but he talks, (laughs) talks about how scissors, bro. (laughs) 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 uh, there are days where it's good not to have a video podcast yeah this is good (laughs) we'll just leave it at that so i talk with roar and it's (laughs) (laughs) oh this is terrible um so i talk with roar and he says something about like you know good spirituality is ultimately about what you do with your woundedness 
and what do you do with that is ultimately the the real answer about what religion is doing for you. And that line that my dad said about expectations being not met, that's one of the things my dad has said to me over and over again. And I feel like I've ripped that off from him more than anything else that like we have this subconscious contract with God Mm -hmm. that we expect things to go a certain way and it's, they don't happen. And I mean, this is obviously my dad's, you know, expertise. I mean, his chronic pain is what he, his dissertation was in. That's what he deals with. And so I think that's what he sees every day is like you have people who expect to be better and just doesn't work out. Have you have you noticed though one of the one of the things that's interesting to me is the most vibrant churches are places that are like the African American churches that are very familiar with pain and their expectations is it is it just because they have not they don't have the same expectations that um, privileged suburban hmm. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Because I do think Christianity has a lot to say about relationship, our relationship with suffering and pain. And the most vibrant, gospel-centered, kind of alive churches are the ones who their expectations are – or are they just – They're lower. Yeah. yeah. And I think that you'd probably find also countries where, like America – our happiness scores are not like the highest in the world. We, but right. our expectations are super high. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, f- I feel like that expectations, entitlement, and gratitude all go together. Bring us back home. Yeah, we're bringing our. I mean, we're we're bringing up our kids to not experience that. We're doing everything we can to provide a, a chance for them not to suffer, not realizing that that's the very thing that may lead them to the most unhappy lives. Yeah, yeah. Or to God, like su- suffering may be the way God reveals Himself. One of the things I thought when I was and and we had a conversation offline last night, but. One of the things I thought when I was listening to your thing and having talk, spent time with Richard Beck talking about this is I think most of the time we try to relieve suffering, and I think Christianity isn't as interested in that project. I think it's it's more interested in trying to redeem it. Yeah. And not that it's good, not that evil or any bad stuff that happens is good, but you know those people. You know, like Anika Maples or or people who have had just life dealt them a crappy hand and they bear up under it and and show the world something that is beautiful, not not in spite of it, but through it. Yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's a great line <clears throat> that we, we want to relieve it, but there's something about redemption that can happen in it. Yeah, and yeah. only in it. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's good. Okay, let's uh, let's go to the next one. Uh, we had a guy named Mark Weathers, and uh, speaking of Richard Beck, he texts me. He goes, "I love Mark Weathers. He was great." You know what else called me after that? Colin Packer did. Colin was a fan of of Mark, and uh, what'd you think of him? I knew Mark a little bit uh, in my time at ACU, and uh, I've appreciated just his perspective on things. One thing I appreciate about Mark is Mark won't let me off the hook as a pastor trying to uh, just give people good news and not be challenging to be a, a prophet. Like it's easy to be a priest in certain situations. And that's the calling that really gives us credibility in our, our role in a church. But boy, you, you listen to Mark for long and you realize uh, I, I just can't keep silent about the things that are most important in the world. Yeah. So how do you bring that task together of mm-hmm. priest and prophet? And Mark, I think is a, a prophet that reminds us of that and did that well on the podcast. One of the things he talked about was, or you brought this up, uh, studying liberation theology in Richland Hills, Texas. Yeah. And his feeling was being maladjusted. I, I think that's an interesting term uh, because I think we do everything we can to feel adjusted and to find ourselves into the culture we're in. But it may not be a bad thing to, to put ourselves in situations where 
we do feel maladjusted, where we're studying not just in con- context where we're removed from the pain of the world or the suffering like we just talked about, but what does it look like to put ourselves in places where we do feel maladjusted and the very things we're learning come into conflict with the, the things that are really going on in the street? Yeah. Do you, do you think those two things go together, the feeling maladjusted and being a pr- prophet? Like his prophetic voice to push against, uh, I would say he pushes against the suburban, you know, upper middle class, you know, white Christianity, partly because he doesn't feel comfortable in that. Mm -hmm. Do you think being a prophetic comes from being uncomfortable where you are, being maladjusted? Yeah, I think you look at scripture and, you know, most of those books, if not all of them, were written uh, while under the oppression of someone else you know, not living is a superpower on top of everything. Yeah. And so to read, just as that was talked about in the podcast, to read this text in the midst of you know, the superpower of the world today, uh, that's a very different place to read scripture and how much have we missed out on because we don't read this from the place that those in scripture do. We receive these words as words to put on our walls and our bumper stickers, but not yeah. walls that are spoken into real situations of suffering, which is what we're trying to hide from mm-hmm. is the very thing we just mentioned you know, a moment ago. And so, I think it's key that we live in moments and live near people and live near suffering uh, and not just hide from it, which is what so many of us are able to do in our lives with means and with resources. Yeah, definitely. You know, he opened up that podcast with that story. We, we, Mark and I went to church together for a while in Fort Worth. And the, one of the times I had lunch with him, he told me that story. And when he started telling that story, the one about him Beating up, (laughs) like we're we're both pacifists when he's telling me this, and Mm -hmm. I start thinking, "You're a worse pacifist." (laughs) I think being a black belt makes it much harder than. There was an intramural sport at AC called uh, water ball, which is kind of like water polo, but you can stand on the ground, and so there's less swimming involved. And I I played a lot of water ball. I really enjoyed it. I was a wrestler in high school, so there's some kind of commonality, and so I played. Even when I was in grad school, I'd go back and play with some guys. Actually, football players, I'd play with them. And I was never faced with a more violent opponent than my good friend Mark Weathers. Mm-hmm. He's the most violent person. The most violent pacifist, hands down. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> but I, I, was think, I could not believe he was telling that story like on a podcast where like other people could hear it where it wasn't a whispered story. <laughs> <laughs> is this a prosecutable offense? But he's. But the the best part of the story is that he literally was like forty pounds lighter than the college athlete who he kind of was beating up. Yeah. So it's okay if you're smaller. Isn't that the moral of the story? Uh, yeah. I mean, that's what I heard. That works in my favor, I guess. <laughs> Except that I can't really beat anybody up. I came at being a pacifist from <laughs> pragmatics. I got I got, a, I got in a fist fight and found out I was really bad at it. <laughs> theology came later. <laughs> That's living in the real world right there, John. Mm-hmm. That was one of the suggestions I made to Luke was, man, bring him on as a regular guest. You know, you got Jonathan the pacifist and you got Mark the pacifist. I would love to hear that podcast, okay? I'm waiting on it. I do appreciate that. Mark and I, um, he's always been a really interesting person to talk to. Yeah. I thought one of the things that was interesting in the podcast was his talk about violence mm. and really broadening our definition of it. Yeah. Uh, that violence is larger than just the ways we hurt people with weapons or, mm-hmm. uh, you know, flip over football players and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, violence is also in the ways that we live in the world, the coercion that's often slippery mm-hmm. in his words. And that, that's one of those things. It's that maladjustment thing that I've got to deal with in my context is, is that how am I living a life of violence? Even as I uh, take on nonviolent you know, theology myself, and want to live that out. 
that's part of the maladjustment of living in yeah. you know Allen, Texas, where I am. Is mm-hmm. what does it look like to live a nonviolent life? Proclaim that, but not just say that when it comes to wars that I'm not involved with where I am. Yeah. But a, a way of life, a consumerism uh, that may do forms of violence to people all the same. Because I'm sure you know you grew up the Metroplex for part of your growing up, and uh, you weren't beating people up, you weren't shooting people, and so it's probably weird for someone like us, you know, who's living in the suburbs, to think of ourselves as having violent practices. But um, I think you need to think through. We need to think through what we're doing. Yeah. And, and here's where I'm curious about our childhood experiences he brings up. He talks about Oscar Romero. And he talks about this experience of him being brought in as kind of this safe person, kind of this theologian. Uh, but the dead body of a friend forced him to risk his life to, to speak out against some of these things. Yeah. And what I'm curious of is where, where, where do we ever come up against these situations um, you know, so many of your listeners come up against these situations all the time. What are those experiences in our ch- in our childhood that radically change and alter our experience the rest of our lives? There was an experience uh, Mark talked about with his dad, with a janitor, right? Yeah. There was mm-hmm. like this this changing experience. Same thing with Romero. Um, and, and I'm wondering if our eyes are open enough to see these moments that might just alter and change everything for us. Uh, but some of us don't have eyes to see. Some of us don't realize that this could be a life-altering experience at every moment. Do we have our eyes open to it? And do we live a, close enough to suffering to have those experiences at all? Yeah. Yeah. And that c- circles back to the idea of you've got to sit in your suffering because that can be the most cathartic, the most uh, transformative, salvific thing that you could experience is sit in those painful moments. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's good. Okay, let's do. Uh, let's talk about uh, Diana Butler Bass. That was just posted yesterday, so I don't know if you guys had a chance to talk to her about it. But what I really liked about Diana Butler Bass was, <clears throat> first of all, that she talked about neighbor in her book because I'm going to be preaching on neighbors in a few weeks, <laughs> and so she helped me write a few sermons. So thank you, Diana, for that. Uh, but what? Okay, so when I read the book, the first kind of feel I got was she was saying. Okay, everyone kind of dumps on the spiritual but not religious people because, you know, for whatever reason. And I felt like she was kind of sticking up for them, which is ironic because the critique against the spiritual but not religious is often that they are not grounded, which is the very title of her book. And she's trying to say, no, 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 this is, you know, part of the Christian story. And so I think there is a benefit. I I like what she was trying to do with that. Um, But. I still am, I'm, I'm a church guy. And so when I hear her say, we're not enemies, I would like to say, no, nature is a resource of the church. Right. Um, I don't see this as either or. Right. You should let her listen to the Pete Holmes podcast. <laughs> Grounded. <laughs> like, this, this is uh, one of the reasons you need church too. I, one of the things. Did you just call Pete Holmes ungrounded? <laughs> that's what you did. See, that's why he's never going to ask you to be on a show. Comments like that. That and that's that's a real slight to me. Mm-hmm. Um, one well, of the we just know you like to go to Hollywood and be in shows that are that is true. Yeah. Salacious. Your your listeners have no idea what you're talking Story about. Story right time. Um, one of the things I think is is interesting about this. I think we're trying to figure out what it looks like to be Christian in a world that thinks it's already heard. What it means. What do you mean? To, oh, already heard. What it yeah, means like I don't think I, I think people are post Christian. Largely because they saw some kind of parody of the Christian faith, and or or didn't look at it. Yeah, you know what I mean, or, or didn't experience it the way. So is the the parody that nature is the opposition of church? Is that part of the parody that you think she's dismantling? Um, that either you experience God in church or you experience God in nature. You know, like John Wayne's quote: "I like God, 
but I just don't like them under a roof. <laughs> I like that you went with an accent. When you uh, said of that. course, you can't go up to the Duke without trying. <laughs> I realized it was a mistake as soon as I started. <laughs> I went, went all in. Um, no, I mean, I, here's here's my take on it. Like Ian Cron has talked on here before about the Catholic imagination and things like that. Um, church matters not because it's the only place you meet God, but it's where you learn to meet God everywhere else. And I think largely oh, the the for right now, second and third generations are, are still seeing creation, not just nature, of people whose grandparents were Christians or Can you explain the difference between creation versus nature? Yeah, I mean I, I think that one of the things Darwin struggled with later in life was loss of wonder. Because mm-hmm. once uh once the story you lay on top of this world is um it's either enchanted or disenchanted um and so if you see the world outside of you as just nature then that's wonderless world but if you see it as god's beautiful creation well nature nature is cruel i mean yeah you know what i'm saying the it can be terrifying or it can be a gift and and there there are different ways to experience what I would call God's good world. And I think the church is a great training place to experience creation and to be grounded. Yeah. It is interesting though. When I talk to my student in in my student ministry, how many of those students, when you talk about where they experience God, it's almost never in a church building. They talk about, you know, they're going to talk about a retreat experience. They're going to talk about an experience when they were on the slopes. They're going to talk about an experience someplace else other than church. So for, for all we want to talk about as church, as you know, churchmen as, as, as ministers of the gospel, there's still this sense of, yeah. Uh, where are people really finding God? Yeah. I, I think obviously, you know, there's a Christian tradition that points to God is found in creation. Like that's part of, right. That's church. That's a church message. Um, but another part, it seems like there is this suburban naivete about nature. Like, Oh, I'm going to go to the nature and I'm going to see a sunset and that's going to be great. But you don't see God in nature when you're like on a boat that's sinking and you're stuck in the middle of the ocean. It's like, Oh, God's all around me. It's like when you have this aquarium view of creation, that's often what we're deciding and saying, Oh, that's where we see God. But I, I loved your point that nature can be pretty cruel. I mean, if you're out there and there, a snake is cornering you, <laughs> it's not like the presence of God. It's, it's a lot more complicated than that. I I think one of the things about uh, the assumption when we say they're not finding God in church is um, is that God is this experience that we can manufacture somehow. Because I would, I would just say to pastors listening to this podcast, don't buy that. Um, we'll, we'll become the prophets of Baal. You know what I mean? Cutting ourselves and... One of the things in the Bible is that um, there there is someone on the other end of this relationship, and we're not having to manufacture all this up. Yeah, that's Randy Harris. That's right. Um, yeah, Habakkuk two twenty talks about the Lord is in His holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before Him. And why do we keep silence? Because that's this God might actually have something to say. Right. Hmm. And I think that's important for us to remember. Um, but I, you know, one thing I think she does is she does a good job of trying to talk about in our in the, in the postmodern world, what does it look like to speak uh, well of God uh, in ways that make sense? Because we don't live in a three tiered universe in the ways that so many saw this in the Old Testament in, in that era. 
Uh, and so what does it look like to be culturally fluent to talk about God in ways that make sense to the modern world? When you say three-tiered, obviously Diana Butler-Bass talks about that some. Uh, what, does that, what does that really mean, the three-tiered universe? Well, this kind of uh, heavens and, and, and what happens on earth and then the under-earth, that kind of thing, which is kind of this perspective that's there. Uh, like it, hell is something that's actually underneath earth. Like right, if right. we dug to the center of earth, yeah. hell would be there. And if we went above the clouds, that's where heaven yeah. is, which is the worldview of the first century. That's right. Yeah. You know, I think we know a little bit more by by science. The question is that she posed was, you know, where is God then? Is is mm-hmm. he someplace up there? Well, it's not like we can go to the moon or the blood red moon and, and check that out and see where he is. Well, not now because the world's about to end. We missed it. No, that was two <laughs> nights ago. But but the, her comment about and, – and your comment, we're not in a three-tiered universe anymore, doesn't undo the idea that there might be a heaven or there might be a hell. It's just saying, like, we don't see the world in the same way. And the question is, where is God um, – Changes that. Yeah, I think cultural fluency is a, mo- a faithful move of the gospel. And I think this is something we forget is that Christianity has always been a translatable faith mm-hmm. in ways that other religions are not. Uh, we've done our best and we've not colonialized our missions other places, but we've actually asked the question, how is this going to speak best in this context? Uh, that's why so many of, you know, in Churches of Christ, the tradition we come, you know, churches move out of the Bible Belt. And they circle the wagons in the past, you know, and, yeah. and didn't look at culture around them, didn't continue to speak. In fact, one of the things I think we've got to learn more and more, and this is something I'd love to see a future podcast on, is about atonement theory. I think it's important for us to rework atonement theory, not to change what, what's been put in Scripture, but there are more than just substitutionary atonement that's there. And what's going to speak in our culture, not just in a feudal culture that made sense when they were coming up with, you know, yeah. Abelard's coming up with theories, but... What does it look like for us to tell the story of God and atonement and a reconciliation in a way that people in a postmodern world are going to understand? Yeah. And that's a, that's a faithful move. It's not a it move is. away from the gospel. It's been the move of Christianity from the start. That's right. It's an incarnational faith. I like him bossing you around on your podcast. What? He's not bossing he me is. around. I think another thing we need to do on the podcast, he's just seeing all the holes in it. No, he's not seeing holes. He's <laughs> he's a, a friend who helps out. He doesn't say, hey, read this book, man. No, he's just saying, here's okay. the I'm getting dumber and dumber, the voices that you're doing for me <laughs> okay. before long. It's... Okay, that might be true. But I'm not <laughs> – you're still my friend. I'm not judging you because of that. We're... It sounds like you're judging. No. <laughs> what happened at your high school diploma, Jonathan? Tell me the story. Yeah, so you opened up with this. My – I don't have a high school diploma, and neither does Luke. We both went to a college in Arkansas. And I do. I yeah. do. Yeah. <laughs> we both went to a college in Arkansas – that did not care. If you no. Okay. What happened was I skipped my senior year of college and uh, I of went college or of, of high school, excuse me. And you skipped your MDiv, but I didn't skip that. Um, <laughs> but I never expected like to, to have a graduation ceremony because I was in college. You, on the other hand, um, what happened at your graduation ceremony? My parents in a church basement for a homeschool high school graduation Handed me a rolled up sheet of printer paper because oh. they. Thought, what was on the like? What was on the on the printer paper? It was totally blank. So, the, but it was rolled up. <laughs> so nobody knew that. Do you have that framed in your office? Or? I've never publicly said that. I'd like to thank you for outing me on. <laughs> yeah, I framed in my office. <laughs> what a funny idea! You should. I totally will. Outstanding. Okay, I think we're gonna end on that. Colin, thank you for coming on the podcast. It's been too long that we uh, went without having you on. So thanks, man. It's good to be here. Thanks, Johnny. Thanks, buddy. Uh, Wade Graves, uh, thanks for that last half of the conversation. Great having you on too. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.